Helena Hemero, your fellow at St Cross College, Oxford, and Professor of Early Medieval Archaeology in the Faculty of History of the University of Oxford. Um, Helena, when, when did you come to Oxford and to St Cross College? Well, I came to St. Cross in 1996 to take up this job, but actually I've been, uh, been at Oxford uh, as a student, as a DPhil student, so it was sort of coming home. And why St. Cross College? Well, my fellowship was attached to St. Cross. Um, my predecessor was at St. Cross, and it's a very strong archaeological college. It has probably more archaeologists than anyone else. Okay, okay. You said you did your DPhil here, so tell us a bit about your DPhil and how it felt as being a DPhil student here. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember being a DPhil student very well. Um, it was on uh, Anglo-Saxon settlement, very large Anglo-Saxon settlement with the wonderful name of Mucking in Essex. And it was really what introduced me to the subject. And I have to say, I never thought I would get a job in it. But here I am, many years later, um, teaching my own graduate students. Okay, fantastic. So um, a bit about, bit about St. Cross College. What, what does it mean to you? Well, I've been here such a long time now that it sort of started to feel like, like home, like family. I, I go in for lunch most days when I can. Um, and as I said, it is on the one hand a place where I encounter lots of archaeologists, including my own colleagues and my own students, which is fantastic. So, uh, you know, it's a chance to go and find out what people are doing away from the department in a different kind of environment, very beautiful, relaxed environment, um, chat over lunch. Um, but also, really importantly, it's a place where I find out what's happening in the rest of the university. And I think that's so important uh, in terms of what colleges offer. It gives you a space to get away from the department, stop thinking just narrowly about your own field, your own subject, and hear about all the other exciting stuff that's going on, you know, across lots of different departments, divisions, you know, medics, philosophers, you name it. And it's, it's incredibly stimulating. Okay, fantastic. What do you tell? You say that archaeology is strong in St. Cross. What do you what What do you learn from other archaeologists? Presumably, a long way from your own archaeological field. Oh gosh, I mean, they're constantly educating me. My own students constantly educate me, um, and then having a chance to talk to colleagues who might be archaeological scientists, um, you know, working on very different sorts of places uh, and materials than I work on. It's just, you know, I'm just learning all the time uh, in a way that I think I wouldn't if I were just sitting in my office in the department. Okay, so it's a very much a de-siloing place. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and it happens in the most wonderfully painless way uh, over lunch as you're all sort of enjoying a nice meal and, and chatting to whoever happens to be sitting across the table from you. Such a good way in which, uh, which uh, science and uh, the intellectual pursuit happens, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Can you tell me a bit about your research? Well, my, my research very generally is on the archaeology of early medieval Northwest Europe, so that's sort of more or less the period from about 400 AD to about 1000 AD, so sort of after the centuries after the end of the Western Roman Empire. Um, but I'm especially interested in rural communities. Uh, almost everyone in that period in Europe lived in a rural community. There were very few towns, very small populations and towns. Um, so it's, it's a really important subject, but actually our written sources for that period tell us almost nothing about how all those people lived. Um, you know, they might tell us about uh, monks and you know, religious communities and towns, but, but very little about ordinary farmers. Okay. So archaeology is pretty much all we've got to go on. 
So what kind of archaeological evidence do you, do you uh, deal with? Do you get your hands dirty? Well, I've been known to get my hands dirty now and, now and again, um, but I work on everything from uh, artifacts, you know, from material culture, to uh, what I suppose now are called eco-facts, so preserved uh, plant remains, uh, animal bones, and, and so on. That's not my own specialization, but I work with people who, who work on that sort of material. Um, the remains of buildings, um, it was a, a wooden world in those days, so there's almost nothing that remains in terms of standing uh, buildings, but you can work out from just stains in the soil um, what sort of uh, structures were standing there. And in fact, at the moment, I've got um, a project, well, the result of a very small excavation that one of my doctoral students and I um, did a few years ago, which has resulted in a heritage lottery funded project to reconstruct the building. And the Living History Society, together with the Carpenters Fellowship, have been building this um, in not far from Oxford. And it's been really exciting to see them, you know, bring this building back to life. Mm. So you, from the imagining of, of, uh, of the past to seeing it rematerialize, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, um, what can you infer from buildings? I assume things like population density, population size. Are there, are there things that you can reconstruct from that, which are larger scale or? Well, there are, of course, the buildings themselves, and uh, you know, are they all the same size? Are we looking at a society in which everybody lives in more or less the same kind of building, which is true at the very beginning of my period, but then gradually you have um, buildings that are clearly much, much bigger than the ordinary buildings, the buildings of, of the first, uh, if you like, kings. Um, and then you have a kind of specialized aristocratic architecture first emerging around about the 10th century. So you can see all sorts of interesting um, social uh, developments in the buildings themselves. Um, but then you can also see from all the associated um, features, things like enclosures, droveways, animal pens, paddocks, that sort of thing, how these people are earning a living. How are they farming? How are they managing their livestock? All that sort of stuff um, can be looked at to, to construct a, a, a bigger picture of, of rural life, not just, not just houses. Okay, so you work with many other kinds of archaeologists as well. Can you give, can you can you elaborate on that a yeah. little bit? Well, my project that I've got at, at the moment, which is called Feeding Anglo-Saxon England, is absolutely um, drawing on a very wide range of specialisms to work out when we see this big expansion of cereal farming in the Middle Ages, which is what enabled Europe's population to to increase so sharply, markets to increase, and of course also enabled. Um, some individuals, lords, to become very wealthy off mm. of the labor of others. Um, and to do that, again, you have to look at animal bones. I've got animal bone specialists I'm working with and plant remains, looking at things like crop stable isotopes and weed remains. All these things require specialists who really know what they're doing, mm. which I don't in this case. <laughs> but you, know, you have the, the great ability to be able to pull a lot of this material together. Well, I have the great good fortune to have a European Research Council grant that enables this team to be brought together and, mm. and, and, and pull all that, all, all that okay. evidence together. Fantastic. So what, what, what is important about your work and for whom might it be important? Well, I think it is, uh, I hope it's going to be important for anybody who's interested um, in uh, the history of the modern landscape, the origins of the modern landscape. So most of the villages that we see in, in large parts of England today date back to, to the early Middle Ages. Um, I think it's, it's important for anybody interested in 
the history of wealth inequalities and when you know you, you begin to get some people who have an awful lot more than other people and I think um, the history of farming plays a really key role in that. Okay so well, um, you've, you've mentioned your ERC project um, what's on the horizon for you presumably this project but are there things coming from this project that you think would be are enticing? Well, there's certainly there are certainly some some possible spin-offs that are developing. So um, there's a postdoc in my department who is looking interestingly at the history of brewing, and that's partly come out of the project. Um, the development of particular land races, so indigenous kind of subtypes of wheat and barley, and all that sort of thing. We're we're producing hints of of that. There's a lot of interest in that today, in in you know amongst organic cereal farmers and. Um, in fact, we have a collaboration with Highgrove. We've been looking at some of their materials. So I think that might develop in interesting ways. Um, but I, I'd also like to do something completely different in future. And I've got an idea to um, start a project looking at the role of, of women in conversion period Europe, but looking at that through their burials rather than through the written sources. Okay. Is there anything specific about the burials that, uh, that uh, are intriguing to you? Well, we, we already know from some written sources that royal women played a really important role in the conversion. But what the burials tell us is that it seems a much wider range of women, and, and indeed girls, some of them are children, were treated very specially in, in uh, death, um, in this, specifically in this period. So there seems to be something special going on around the role of women in particular within their families during the conversion period. And they seem to have mediated with this, the supernatural in a special way. Okay, are you able to say what that special treatment looks like or? Yeah, well they're, they're buried with special sorts of objects. They are buried much more ostentatiously than men in this period on the whole. Um, and they're buried in very special places often, under mounds, at the boundaries of what we might think of as estates, of, of patrimonial land. So they have some role in kind of guarding the um, the family's land, land which would have been, you know, newly acquired and, and probably was being quite jealously guarded. Mm. So understanding that mystery is, is the challenge. Yeah. Okay. Helena Harmara, thank you very much. Thank you.